The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Thanks so much for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. I'm your host, Carrie Charles, and I have a special guest for you. So joining me today is Michael Mori. He is the president and CEO of Bluebird Network. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Carrie. So, Michael, I'd love to learn a little bit about your background. Where, you know, how did you get started in this industry and and how did you get into the seat that you're in today? So um, I get asked this question a lot. And um, how do I become the CEO of a telecommunications company? And for me, it seems apparent. I, when I was in junior high school, I wanted to be a volcanologist. And I, I wanted to go to Caltech and study volcanoes and be a scientist. Wow. And for me, there's a direct line between that and me, the CEO of Bluebird. <laughs> but it's a little cloudy for most people. But I'll just quickly tell you that volcanoes generate earthquakes. I decided maybe I'd be a seismologist studying earthquakes. And then, well, earthquakes knock buildings down. So I decided maybe I'd be an architect and design buildings that wouldn't fall down. So I got a degree in architecture from the University of Southern California, did some internships. Um, and I encourage everybody, whatever you're doing, go out and do some internships in what you're doing. I did some summer internships in architecture, found out that the powerful people were not the architects. They were the developers. We would mm. prepare for the developers to come and see our presentations on our buildings. And I realized that was really where the power was. And I didn't want to be working for those folks. I wanted to be hiring the architects. So I decided I was going to go get my master's in business administration from the USC as well, because I was having a lot of fun there while I leave. Did get a master's in administration, graduated in 1982. So those of you who want to do the math, I'm an old guy. But in 1982, interest rates were way higher than they are now. And there was no development going on at all. So I said, I can't do what I want to do. I'll just work for whoever pays me the most money. And in 1982, AT&T was going through deregulation and the breakup of the Monopoly Bell Company. So I interviewed with tons of people, made up stories as to why I'd be good for anybody. El Paso Natural Gas was my favorite one. I know they didn't believe me that I always wanted to move to El Paso. Anyway, <laughs> AT&T hired me. They offered me the most money. And so I went through that whole thing. I learned in a big company. And then there were a lot of things that were going on between then and now. The internet got started. Competitive local exchange carriers got started. Fiber started replacing uh, cable and copper. There were a lot of people that were raising a lot of money. And so I decided I was going to go raise some money. I went out and raised over $50 million from venture capital companies, ended up a CEO of a startup company, and two or three iterations. Once you start running companies, once you start raising money, once you start talking to private equity people, once you start talking to advisors, it's a short step. Then the whole world opens up for you. You know, I, I did a few companies and ended up interviewing and becoming the CEO of Loop. So that's mm. a kind of short, condensed version of it. Shout out to all the volcanologists in the world. 
that's a very interesting journey. I always like to ask this question because I know that there's people listening and that are thinking, okay, how do I move forward in my career? What are the steps that I take? What did he do? What did she do? So you have, I would say, one of the most interesting stories I've ever heard with a volcanologist. Volcanologist. Scientist okay. volcanologist. I, I really didn't know that existed, but boy, I've learned a lot today. Okay. No, there's got to be some transferable skills in somewhere in there with telecom. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so <laughs> tell me the, uh, the Bluebird story. Who is Bluebird Network? Who do you yep. serve? All yep. of it. Yep, yep. So Bluebird Network is a fiber services company that focuses on providing services to the commercial and carrier market in the Midwest, Missouri, Illinois, and the nine surrounding states. So we're really a Midwest-focused company, and we do four things. We do fiber connectivity. We connect one place to another, whether it's multiple locations of the state of Missouri or a fiber tower to their mobile telephone switching office or an internet connection to a, a large college facility, we connect fiber. We also do have two data centers located in the Midwest and we have that connect to that fiber network. We have cloud connectivity where we connect customers to the cloud. There's a huge drive in the cloud right now. And then we have internet access across all of that. And we do two markets. One is the commercial market where education, banking, finance, universities, governments. And then the other part is to carriers. Every name you've ever heard in telecommunication buys from Bluebird in the Midwest. We help them do connect and do things that maybe they didn't do themselves. I mean, the example is, is Spectrum Cable has locations in St. Louis and in in, in Hannibal and in Columbia and in Jefferson City and in the down at the Lake of the Ozarks. They have lots of fiber in those areas, but they have no fiber connecting those locations and they don't have enough, way less expensive for them to buy those kinds of connections from us than it is for them to build their own. So we have a huge market in providing connectivity to other carriers, other wireless carriers. Every wireless carrier in the business buys from us. I think that pretty much sums up what we do carry. So there's just so much happening with broadband right now. So what is your perspective on the future of the internet and you know any particular trends that you're seeing that we need to be aware of? So the future of the internet is bright, right? <laughs> right, what's that kind of thing where you have to wear sunglasses? It has been growing at 30% annual rates in terms of demand for years. And I don't see that stopping anytime soon. It's really because information and how much information we generate and how much information we store, how much information we access, how much bandwidth the applications we use just keeps growing dramatically. It, whether it's the Internet of Things, whether it's uh, self-driving cars, whether it's AI type of applications, what could happen is is unlimited. So I think that the demand side is going to keep growing like crazy. I think that a recent trend that really kicked off as a result of COVID is that there was a move from the office to the home. So you've seen a, a much greater, so the demand for those bits and bytes is now way more from the home than it ever used to be, right? I mean, at one point it was, everybody wanted to have movies, so it was downloading, but now people are working from home and you need two-way and you need video and all that good stuff. So, And then you couple that with the fact that the U.S. government has put $65 billion, that's with a B, into grants 
to put fiber to underserved homes throughout the US, that's putting the huge trend in terms of this on fiber to the home. Now, Bluebird doesn't do fiber to the home. We're not a residential provider. In fact, I was in a, an investment conference uh, a year ago and I asked somebody, so what's, what are people saying about Bluebird? And they said, well, nothing because you guys don't do residential. And that tells you how much the investment community is looking at residential. When you got $65 billion of free money, you're going to really push it that. But Bluebird really does actually benefit tremendously from this marketplace because all those people that go to some small town, Princeton, Missouri, for instance, or Hannibal, Missouri, or and they build these deep fiber networks to the home, they have to connect to the rest of the world just like that charter example I gave earlier, a spectrum example I gave earlier. So they have to figure out these rural areas where they're building these local fiber networks. How do I connect that to the rest of the world? How do I get internet? How do I basically get that bandwidth, that huge bandwidth of those end users? And since we are not a competitor to those people, we are a huge supplier to that growing fiber to the home market that's out there. So Mm. I think that's probably the biggest trend in our industry right now. How long is Bluebird, like when was Bluebird founded? It's been many years, right? 1999. Wow. So we've been around a long time. We've done a number of acquisitions. Actually, I was counting up. We've done five acquisitions uh, starting in 2014. And that's uh, we've grown to over 11,200 fiber miles. And we have over 85,000 buildings that have near access to our network. We're a huge presence in the Midwest. I like to say we're the biggest fiber company that you've never heard of. And the reason <laughs> people haven't heard of us is because since we don't do residential, we don't do kind of this mass market television kind of advertising. It's mostly direct contact to very, very large organizations. Right. So, Michael, you have a history of helping companies grow and, you know, in generating revenue. So what strategies do you use to grow corporate value? Can you give us a couple of your secrets? Well, when you talk about helping companies grow, right, in my background, I didn't really talk much about this, but I worked for a company called Electric Lightweight, which is a fiber and internet company. I worked for, I started a company called Nutera. I started a company called called Boxitas. Bluebird itself uh, has been growing like crazy. I also was involved with a company called Newbox. And all of these companies grew dramatically, sold for multiple hundreds of millions of dollars, et cetera. So, and the key to all of this, there are two real keys, in my opinion. And one that is not as much of a key that everybody thinks it is. One is having money to invest, okay? I have spoken at at, at conferences of entrepreneurs and everybody's walking around talking about their great idea. And my comment is, is I can walk out in that hallway out there and I can find 50 great ideas, okay? But who's got the money? Where the money is is what really makes the difference. So learning how to talk to and meet investors and people who have money. That means venture capitalists, that means private equity people, that means uh, people who focus on seed investments, et cetera. So ideas are great, okay? But think about how am I gonna get the money for that? That is a super important thing. Hundreds of millions of dollars over the years. And ultimately, if I didn't have any of that money, I wouldn't have been successful in anything I did. The second thing is to have a great team to execute on it. You know, you've got to find the right people to take to the money, okay? And to execute on the plan. You know, the last thing is the great idea, okay? You know, once you've got a company started, once you've got the money, then what happens is, and and once you're executing on that initial plan, then the creativity of how you can change and morph the company can come in. 
But I think that's probably where I would recommend people focus their attention in. And how do you meet these people who invest in, in this kind of stuff? Conferences. There are a lot of investment conferences. Go to conferences, meet some of these people, ask them what they're looking for. Before you jump in and start creating an idea, figure out where you get the money. I found out back in the year 1999 and 2000, there was tons of money, venture capital, chasing uh, management teams that they couldn't find enough management teams to invest in. So you know what I did? I pulled together a management team. I put together a business plan. <laughs> I went and met with those investors. I had $50 million like six months later. Wow. But yeah, but I didn't start with the idea. I started with the how do I, where's the money coming and what kind of, what is that money investing in? If your idea is in an area where there, that people are not investing money, your idea is a waste of time. Go think of another idea. Go talk to somebody else. Go take somebody else's idea and put it together with the money. So <laughs> that's just my two cents worth on that, Carrie. Wow, brilliant. I love that. So speaking of teams, how do you build effective, high-performing teams? Okay, so it's, well, there's, there's, there's two parts of it. It's who you know, right? And having a really broad net of a network of people. I spend a lot of time just meeting people. If somebody says that they know a great person, I mean, I always make a point of somehow meeting them. Oh, they're a great person. But, you know, hey, so-and-so, I just heard I was talking to so-and-so. They said you were great at this. You know, I'm not really looking for anything right now, but we're both in the same industry. We should get together, okay? And so I think the first step to putting together a great team is to knowing great people. And to know great people, you just need to be out there introducing yourself, offering to have lunch. And by the way, if you are not a CEO of a company, you can do this too. You say, hey, I've, I've had people reach out to me, Michael, I've heard that you're you know, great at this and stuff, and I'm trying to get into this. I'm going to be down. I see that you're at this conference. Do you have time to have breakfast with me? I mean, I love that. I actually, I don't always have time, but sometimes I do that. So meeting great people is the first thing. The second thing is to understand what motivates people. A lot of times people will look at resumes and, you know, they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. Okay, great. Well, as long as they did those things for committed periods of time, okay, not one to three years in each job, because I won't even look at a resume with one to three years in each job. I just put them outside. I don't, don't do them. As long as they've committed to things over time, the real thing I like to do is why did they do what they did when they did it? Understand what, you know. Michael, why did you take that job with AT&T the first time, right? That's a terrible reason because they paid me the most money. I had no commitment whatsoever to that. I was a terrible hire. Thank God I you know, <laughs> talked them into it, okay? Ended up staying at AT&T for 13 years. But my motivation was just the worst motivation possible. Thank God that I loved what I did and turned out it was a great thing for me. But understanding why people are doing it when they do it, knowing a bunch of great people so you can compare them, you can say, ah, oh, okay. This person is doing things for the reasons that really make sense for this job, and I would get in the boat with them, and I feel like we could get committed together. And then not being shy about asking people to join you, right? That's my thoughts for what they're worth. I, I love it. This is I love this conversation. So describe the company culture at Bluebird Network. You asked me to describe the company culture, but but another question that I actually give the same answer to is. What makes Bluebird different than those other companies they're looking at, okay? It's actually, for me, it's the same answer. A lot of times when people say, well, why should I buy from Bluebird instead of AT&T or Verizon or whoever? And, oh, we've got great quality service. Uh, we've got 
great prices. We customer service is great. They'll go on and on with all these things, and everybody says the same stuff. When I answer that, I say it's because of Bluebird and our corporate culture. And I actually have these every place I am. I happen to be sitting in a conference room down in our Bluebird underground, and I just reached over because these are everywhere throughout the company. You can't go anywhere without seeing the Bluebird values. And we have four key values. One, wowing our customer, which means we meet or exceed our customer's needs for both our internal and external customers. Two, we own it. We hold ourselves and each other accountable to do what's right. Three, we adapt creatively. We quickly and creatively adapt to solve problems. And four, we care deeply. We care deeply about our customers, our team members, our community, and our environment. And if you care about these things, the way you do your job becomes a way that your customers love. People love working with Bluebird. And our employees live these values. We live them. And the cool thing for me, super cool thing for me is these values existed at Bluebird when I was hired. So it was way easier when you got a company that really doesn't think this way. It's hard to move. It's like trying to move a ship and change directions. But these values, maybe they weren't publicized. Maybe they weren't documented. Maybe people didn't realize them, but they were doing these things here at Bluebird. And all I had to do was capture them, get everybody to buy in on them, document them, and continue to reinforce them throughout the company. So hopefully that helps with the company culture. Yes, it does. I, I was going to ask you where you are because it actually looks like you could be inside of a volcano. Back to the volcano conversation. <laughs> like, you must really still like them. <laughs> well, so I am sitting in one of Bluebird's two data centers. This is called the Bluebird Underground. You can see I've got, looking here, we've got all kinds of rock around me. I'm uh, about 150 feet below the ground. We have a a huge area here where we all of our data center equipment is housed. And in the Midwest, that's super important because tornadoes come through here like crazy. And people put their critical data storage in data centers to protect it, to make sure it has power, to make sure it has cooling, to make sure it's secure, that people can't break into it. And in the Midwest, they do it to make sure that it doesn't get destroyed by a a tornado. So we go underground and everything is protected from that. Here in this area, there's a town about uh, 50 miles, 60 miles south of Springfield, Missouri, where I am right now, called Joplin. And one of our customers here in this data center is a hospital organization that used to have a hospital down it. They do a new hospital in Joplin, but the hospital that was there about 15 years ago is no longer there because it was destroyed by a tornado. And inside that hospital, they had their data center, which was also destroyed. So now they are here in this data center, as well as many of the companies within the 100, 150 mile range of Springfield, Missouri, because they can make sure that their customers critical information is protected. And let me tell you something, if you lose your systems in a company nowadays, you could put you out of business. So anyway, so that's a part of the business that we do. Thank you for asking, Carrie. Yes, yes. So speaking of things changing, our workforce, workplace, you know, everything about how we work and where we work and really the way that people think has changed drastically just in the past two to three years. So I know leaders have become very confused. Okay, how do I lead in today's workforce? You know, what do we do with the, you know, with the flexibility in office, out of office, and 
the millennials and, you know, just everything is so different, what people want, what they need, the mental health. I mean, it seems very challenging today to be a leader at these times. So what do leaders need to do differently today to be successful? I think that at the highest level, we need to listen more and we need to be more flexible. So those are the two things I would think that more of those two things from what we were doing three or four years, I think is important. Bluebird has very highly skilled technical employees. You know, we're a high tech company and folks like that can go any place they want to any place in the world. Okay. It used to be okay. we're here in the Midwest. All those jobs were out in the East Coast and the West Coast. We had our own little bubble here. Somebody worked for you. They never leave, right? Well, those folks, they have a lot of luck. They've always had these needs, but they're more willing to express them and make job decisions based on the things that are important to them, whether it's family, whether it's working from home, whether it's, you know, having more vacation time, having more quality time, not having to work, you know, 16 hours a day and things like that. So for me, I've got to tell you here at Bluebird, it is, I think, pretty easy because, you know, let's just talk about this work from home, work from the office kind of thing mm -hmm. that everybody's talking about, right? Okay. Well, you know, if you want to work from home at Bluebird, you work from home. If you want to work in the office at Bluebird, we let you work in the office. If you want to work at home some and in the home office some, you no, know, you can do that. If you want to change your mind and do it for a while and then not do it for a while, you do whatever you want, as long as you're doing your work. And by the way, we're not doing what some people are doing where they're monitoring how long they're on their computer or how long they're <laughs> off their computer and all that okay. good stuff. Orwellian kind of people looking over your shoulder. I mean, we set out clear objectives for what people need to achieve. And if they're achieving those, I'm happy. If they're not achieving them, we're just going to move you out. But it's listening to what those needs are. And we also do, we do town halls. We've added these. To, so let me, we used to do all hands meetings where we would bring the teams together and talk a lot. Um, now we do those virtually. And so it becomes more of a one-way thing. So what we've done is we've instituted town halls twice a year in each one of our offices where myself and at least one of the other executives will go into an office and we break them up and we into groups of no more than 15. So we have some offices that are significantly bigger than that. We'll break it up into three or four different uh, sessions. And in those town halls, we just sit around the table. I'm, I'm sitting here at a table of about 15. I had one of these town halls right here at this table just about two months ago. And we do two, several things. One, we go over the employee surveys that we've done over the last quarter or the last half year, and we show what they responded. We show the kind of concerns that come up or the you know, high fives that come out of that. Yeah. And we share with them what the executive team is thinking about in terms of responding to this. But we then we ask around the table, what do you guys think? You know, are there things we should work on that we aren't working on, et cetera? And these little kind of uh, sit around the table. And by the way, every employee, we're, at least we're big enough. So we're not so big that I can't meet with every employee throughout the year at some point in these town halls where I get to do it. They share with us what those things are. And so, and then a lot of times we include the people who have the ideas in the committees that are working on the solutions. So communication, okay, is a new art. It has become amped up in terms of its importance since people are not all together. And so we really focus on, you know, town hall meetings, all hands meetings. Once a year, we try to bring the entire company together 
And then just that that personal communication, also our onboarding has also been something that's changed. We used to have a kind of loosey-goosey onboarding program, but when people work remote, your onboarding program has to be far more formal. And as part of our onboarding program, we have people meet virtually with all of the key people that impact their job. So normally you just meet them in the hallway. It wasn't part of the old onboarding program. Now these actual scheduled get to know you meetings are part of their onboarding. You have to talk to these 25 people in these you know, half hour, you know, get to know each other sessions. So I think I've hit most of the key things yeah. that we have focused on to change. Very smart. So what are some exciting projects you have lined up for 2023? What's on the agenda? I get asked this all the time, and it's more of the same. We're digging in and edging out, which is really kind of our mission, which is to get deeper, build deeper in fiber and get more connected to the communities that we are already serving and edging out into more communities throughout the Midwest. So we keep building and keep doing about 500 miles of fiber every year. We keep adding on about 5,000 to 9,000, you know, near connected buildings. And we're just going to keep doing that. Every once in a while, we'll buy a company. We just bought Missouri Telecom, which is a telecommunication provider in Southwest Missouri. Uh, last year, we bought uh, the Quad Cities Data Center, which is a data center up, up, uh, up in the northeast part of our area. The year before that, we bought a company called Illinois Network Alliance, which is fiber in the southern part of Illinois. And the year before that, we bought a thing called Unity Midwest. So we try to find something else to add on some kind of bolt-in acquisition. I don't know what if we're going to do one this year. And if I, we do, I don't know what it's going to be. But we'll keep building, we'll keep digging in, we'll keep edging out, and we might add another company here or there. So that's about what we're doing. So I'm sure that people listening, some people are thinking, how do I get a job with Bluebird Network? Uh, it sounds ah. like a wonderful, wonderful place to work. And uh, just in general, how can, yes, I, I hear that. So in general, how can we find out more about Bluebird Network? Well, go to our website, which is bluebirdnetwork.com. And we do have a career section there. And if you're looking for a job, we do post them and go out there. If you find somebody that you know that is working at Bluebird, you know, reach out and contact them. But I think going to our website is the best way to find us. Wonderful. Michael, this has been incredible. I've learned so much. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Carrie, for having me. Have a great week. Yes, you too. Take care. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.